Thanks for tuning in to the Zags on 3 podcast. Before we get going, I'd like to place a special shout out to the Gonzaga Bulletin and iZag Radio who helped make this thing go. To get the newest episodes auto-downloaded right when they drop, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or whichever app you get your podcast from. Thanks for listening. podcast we are live in phoenix arizona right now the site of the 2017 final four where gonzaga plays south carolina in the university of phoenix stadium tomorrow saturday i'm andy bueller here alongside uh, bulletin correspondents reporters editors justin reed eden lassie how are you guys doing well how are you Fantastic, fantastic. I'm excited to be here, and we, you know, we spent the whole day uh, pretty much at uh, Media Availability, which was a zoo. It's an enormous stadium. Um, it's a football stadium where, it's where, where the Arizona Cardinals play, um, and they have uh, vacated essentially, uh, or they have filled essentially every part of uh, the non-hardwood with seats, and so it's just there's a, there's a, an extraordinary amount of seats. It's it. It looks very unnatural, um, but there were a lot of people there, and each of the Final Four teams spoke today. Uh, we sat in at Gonzaga. We sat in at South Carolina. Uh, we'll bring you what they said, of course, with our coverage at GonzagaBulletin.com. All three of us are working on a stories for you guys. Uh, but what were you guys' impressions of uh, the event today? Uh, everything that it is, there's so many Zags that are either already here in Glendale slash Phoenix or are on their way down, uh, whether they be driving or flying. Uh, what was your guys' impression of the event? So it was really cool. They they added, so the normal capacities, I think is about 64, 65,000 or something like that. And they added uh, enough seats to put it right under 80,000 people. So that was just walking in and just seeing the the how big the stadium is because that's, what, like 12 times bigger than McCarthy is, just kind of for some reference, uh, which is insane how big it, it was. So that was the craziest thing to me, walking in and just being in awe of how big it was and how many seats they had added for it. Uh, but it looks like, and most of these players have never played or probably never really will um, again in front of this many people. So that was the most impressive thing to me was the stadium itself uh, and how these players will react when this place is sold out and there's almost 80,000 fans screaming and yelling watching them play a, a basketball game tomorrow um, and Monday as well. I think the craziest thing for me is just thinking about how important this moment is to so many Zag fans. Um, I know the students are going to be out in full force. They had 700 tickets and they sold out in three minutes, which is just nuts. I know people who are driving straight to the Seattle airport, getting out of the car, getting on a plane, coming here. I know people who are driving through 20 hours straight to get here. So it's just it's a really cool experience, really cool for the school, and I'm excited to see all the Zag fans in the stands tomorrow. Absolutely. So we've got a great episode coming up here. Uh, I spoke with uh, Matt Santangelo, uh, the former point guard of the 1999-2000 Cinderella team that started this whole twenty near 20-year run for Gonzaga's program. That Definitely that team was the launching pad. Really cool. I mean, 45 X-Zags um, are here in, in Phoenix. Uh, to support this team, and the, most of the, I think the whole starting lineup of that '99 team is here, and and everyone else is uh, uh, certainly wishes they would be. Um, 
as far as uh, so we've got Matt Santangelo. He's coming up. Uh, sat down with him and, and looking forward to uh, playing that. And then uh, Justin and I spoke with uh, Bobby Balboni of the uh, South Carolina Student Newspaper. Yeah, he um, he was a I mean a really good interview. It was fun to talk to him. Um, so I uh, talking it was interesting getting that perspective uh, because you know we've been watching the Zags all uh, all season of course and he's been covering the Gamecocks all season as well so uh, hearing his point of view and hearing because before the season he, uh, I saw this in a different story they were only projected to be 8th or ninth in the SEC which I think almost last is there 10 teams in the SEC I think 12 maybe um, so that I mean they weren't they weren't expected to do very well at all, and they put together a really nice season, and they uh, their tail end of the season. I mean they lost six of their nine final games. They came to the NCAA tournament uh, pretty low um, on themselves, on their season, on what they were able to accomplish. They lost in the first round of the SEC tournament to Alabama, and they came to the NCAA tournament and they've rolled off they've rolled off four straight wins to get to the final four. Yeah, and, uh, he I mean he he laid it out pretty nicely of how that team is laid out, how Frank Martin the head coach is and um, how their season has gone uh, there in Carolina. Yeah, so Bobby Alboni at the Daily Gamecock. The thing that I was most interested in, and we'll save most of it for the interview, but, uh, I mean, he we've been covering this Gonzaga team that's had so much hype around it the entire season. And, you know, with the number one ranking, with uh, its roster up and down, uh, going undefeated as long as it did, and for him with South Carolina – I mean, they very much did not have the. They had a very different season than the Zags did. They spent the whole season out of the spotlight, and they obviously. I mean, Sundarius Thornwell, who was the SEC Player of the Year, I believe. Yeah. He, uh, I mean, is just putting up just insane numbers, but but wasn't even a first team uh, uh, projection going into the season. and so, of course, with the way their season ended, like you said, uh, and their NCAA tournament run, I mean, they hadn't won an NCAA tournament game in 40 years. No. 40 it's years. And they, and they are in the Final Four, which is just unbelievable. And so uh, we'll get to that for sure. Um, coming from the media day today, uh, we heard from different players. I know we were kind of split up everywhere. I didn't really see you guys for a lot, a lot of it on, just because yeah. there was so much going on. It was busy. Um, there were so many media people there. I don't know. Uh, yesterday, I guess, was even crazier. They said that the locker room was you. I mean, you were standing shoulder to shoulder, um, and it was there was nowhere to move. So, like this day was, I, th- I think, a little bit easier, but still, it was pretty incredible the amount of people that were just in the media room itself. I was on the uh, South Carolina side. Uh, I was at uh, Thornwell's presser. It was just him. Uh, they have these little draped off sections where you could, there's like six of them, I think, and you can go to each individual one and just, you know, some of the players, like when with Jordan Matthews, they're required to be there a certain amount of time, and people ran out of questions with about eight minutes to go, and he got up to leave because there was only two of us there, and the, and the lady that worked for the NCAA said, oh, sorry, you got to sit here for eight more minutes, and he oh. just kind of roll, rolled his eyes, but for the more popular players, there's obviously uh, a lot more people asking questions. Uh, so what do they do? Just sit there and stare at each, like stare at the media for the next eight minutes while you guys are just chilling? Well, it, by us, it was, uh, it was myself, who I only asked two questions mm-hmm. and wasn't really, you know, I was just kind of I'm curious about two things and then a reporter from the LA Times who had uh, clearly been working on a bigger story on him and so he kind of you know there would be like a 20 second lull of silence where it was just kind of sitting there and then he'd bring something else up and Jordan would light up and 
Uh, I eventually left with a couple minutes to go. Um, but uh, kind of getting back on track, Thornwell, uh, he was his was the most packed, I think, maybe of the day. I mean, he, he was in that, that front um, availability, uh, that first one that you see when you walk in. And, and he was asked – and I, I'm writing about this right now. You'll find it on GonzagaVolts.com. But toward the end, he was asked what I thought was a pretty unfair question uh, by a reporter who said, uh, "Who do you think is the most nervous team going into the tur- going into this Final Four? And he was just like, uh, "He's like, ah, man, that's a hard one. Uh, Gonzaga, I guess." He's like, "Oh, well, you know, North Carolina's nervous." And I'm paraphrasing now. North Carolina's nervous, and also Oregon's nervous, and also we're nervous. But I'd say Gonzaga. And then the guy said, well, it, is that because they're playing you? And he was just like, huh, maybe. And then, and then, <laughs> and then they yeah. walked away. And so I, I, I thought that was a pretty great uh, kind of organic moment from him. Uh, the thing that shocked me the most and my biggest takeaway from South Carolina's presser, and, and, and you guys can weigh in kind of on, uh, on your reaction to this, but Thornwell had only seen the Zags play one time this whole year. And – I just got the sense that that they really haven't seen this team play, and and he's even said that they you know he hasn't even watched that much film on them. I think it goes both ways too. Um, I don't know. Well, that's interesting that he said that they haven't watched much film on them because uh, Mark Few today said uh, that the coaching staff for GU since 1 p.m. on Sunday, you know they they beat Xavier on Saturday, and then Few said they're going to celebrate Saturday night. He's going to go to church Sunday morning, and then they're going to get to work. And he said they got to work 1 p.m. on Sunday, and since then they were gathering um, analytics, film, and everything, and they've just been going nonstop watching this team. So uh, if that's the case, it will be interesting to see if uh, you know if, if maybe other players felt the same way. If I mean if he was, was prepared or not for this game, um, I don't know. Maybe he just maybe he just misspoke. I imagine they will be watching some film. I mean, there's no way they're going to come into this unprepared. They'll definitely be prepared to play. But I think, um, speaking to your earlier point, that they hadn't really watched Gonzaga at all this season. I mean, why why would they really be paying that much attention to them? There's such a small chance that they'd ever come across this team. So unless they're just doing some casual basketball viewing, I don't see why they would be watching. Just the same as why I don't see why Gonzaga would be watching South Carolina, which is one of the really cool things about this tournament is it, that you get some really weird matchups that nobody sees coming. It's the first time these two teams have ever matched up in history, so yeah, there is there is no reason. They're both on the opposite ends of the country, uh, and I think one of the reasons why they don't watch each other uh, is because of the time zone difference, and that also was kind of mentioned in, in our talk with uh, the sports editor for the Daily Gamecock there. Um, but I, I would I would believe that West Coast teams watch themselves more often. Uh, same thing, East Coast teams probably watch themselves more often just because of the time zone differential. Because when the Zags play at eight o'clock at night, like a lot of their West Coast conference games, it's eleven o'clock there. Those guys are probably in bed, and if they're not, they're not going to be watching basketball at that time. So it definitely and that and like Eden said, you know that makes that's what makes the NCAA tournament so special is most of these teams they've you know they know who each other are obviously and you, they're going to know who GU is they've been number one in the country this year they've been blowing out their conference so it happens but it definitely makes for an interesting storyline for sure I think the onus is more on Gonzaga in this case too uh South Carolina is sure sure as heck heard of Gonzaga throughout this season. Even if they haven't been watching them, it's kind of hard not to with with the ranking and the undefeated, uh, and, and and some of the you know individual performances. Uh, but Gonzaga has had no reason to look South Carolina's way up until um, up until Sunday. Was that right? Sunday when they when they beat uh, was it Florida? Mm-hmm. Um, 
they haven't had any a, any reason to, and, and and they were able to kind of watch intently, knowing that they would play the winner of that game, and from there, uh, obviously that they had seen Florida, they played Florida, beat Florida earlier in the Advocare Invitational, and a South Carolina they, they hadn't seen, and so I think, you know, that especially with uh, the way they've been playing, which has been so contrary to how their entire season went, uh, personal performance, Thornwell set aside. I mean the way this team's the way this team just beat up and knocked out Duke and uh, you know beat Florida and has has stomped its way as a seven seed and a seven seed that people whined about being a seven seed. They said that they should have been seeded lower than that. And they thought they would be seated lower. And, um, and, and but... yeah, it was, <coughs> sorry, it was a reasonable argument. Um, having a choke attack, <laughs> um, but no, I, yeah, I, I I think that that's. That's the fun part about this tournament is that you've got two great storylines from two programs that have no clue, you know, hardly any clue about each other, um, and so and, and so that certainly will be interesting to to uh, to see play out tomorrow and when the game tips at three oh nine Pacific time. Yeah, it's gonna be a fun game. It's gonna be a lot of. I mean, they're very similar. You you mentioned Florida. You mentioned the SEC. Uh, very defensive conference overall. Uh, this is the best defensive team we will be. We'll play all all uh, all season. Even though we've played West Virginia, we've played Florida. But if you look at the def- defensive efficiency numbers, which to me, I mean, I put a lot of faith in those numbers, and I spout them all the time. So if you look at that, uh, South Carolina is the best defensive team we'll play all season. I think Florida's fifth, fourth, and West Virginia's fifth in the country in efficiency. So this will be our toughest test in theory uh, when it comes to uh, attacking uh, defense. And hopefully they'll be ready, and I think playing those other teams earlier this season will definitely prepare us well for, uh, for tomorrow's game. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to watching this defensive matchup, particularly because it is two super strong defensive teams, but two defensive teams that do things pretty differently. I've been saying it all season, the Zags do everything through their big men, and that's the same on defense. They kind of try and funnel guards there and to get blocks and that sort of thing. And South Carolina is very guard-oriented, and they do that um, on defense as well. So they try and match up really hard. And their best defensive player is probably Dwayne Notis, who is going to be guarding, you know, our point guards. So I think it should be an interesting matchup just to see two tough defensive teams go at it in completely different ways. Absolutely. Absolutely. Be sure to, again, uh, follow along. We'll, by the time this podcast drops, we'll have uh, stories up at GonzagaBulletin.com on Facebook, Twitter, uh, and the likes. Um, for now, uh, here's the interview with uh, HoopFest director and 1999-2000 point guard Matt Santangelo. Joining us now on the Zags on 3 podcast is Matt Santangelo, 99-2000 point guard, and now the, what is it, is it color analyst? Yeah, color analyst. For uh, the IMG Network, uh, following the Zags around, uh, just like uh, back in the day, still involved. Matt, how are you? So awesome. I mean, so overwhelmed. The whole Final Four production is incredible, and it's really, really amazing to see the Zags here. So, what? Just walk me through what your duties entail here. Obviously, you have the game, uh, hopefully games plural uh, yeah, that yeah. that you're doing. But uh, beyond that, well, you know, really, there's a couple things happening. A lot of it is is like today, the kind of the, we're at open practice. They have the media sessions. You know, when coaches on the podium, players are on the podium. So you get a little feel for what South Carolina is doing at that time. You know, get to hear Coach Martin talk. Certainly, the Zags talk as well. Then. This particular weekend, we probably have 
40 to 45 former players in town to celebrate this. So somehow I became the liaison to coordinate. Like we did a social last night. Tonight we're going to do something with the team. Um, and coach, of course, Fuse has been great about, or the whole staff has been great about including us um, former players to be around and be a part of it because it really is a journey that all of us had a hand in. How much would you attribute to the closeness, that how tight-knit all the former players are to the fact that Fuse still the oh, coach? Yeah. Does, does that play as big of a factor as I might think I, it does? I think it has to. I mean, had there been generations of players that had gone through here under a different coach and a different relationship, I think it would be a huge, a huge factor. Now, I always say there's something about what the coaching staff does to recruit Zags. But there's something about the characteristic of a Zag that recruits themselves to Gonzaga. And I try to say, like, we're all good guys. Like, it's not it's not like we have just one common bond. We have a lot of common bonds. But Few is definitely the one that has kept us all together, that relationship together. Um, and then as we've gotten to know different generations, we realize, hey, we like these guys anyway. They're, you know, they're one of us. We've gone through same journeys, the same trials, the same tribulations, you know, the same sacrifice, and really the same love for the game of basketball that keeps us all together. So you uh, you said that a lot of you know 45 around 45 Zags gonna be out here. How many from that 99 team? We'll have five. So I had five seniors. So all five of us will be. We have Axel Dench coming in from Australia, who's That's making awesome. the longest the longest trek. So our five seniors. We have Casey Calvary, Mark Spink, which were two years younger than or a year younger than us on that 99 team. We have Jeremy Eaton, who is a year older, and then he had a couple other seniors. Quentin Hall from the Bahamas isn't gonna be here, but he's sending his love. Um, you know, Mike Leisure is another one who's in Portland area who's sending his love. Um, so everyone's been in touch around this Final Four experience. And how much, how much, uh, how many requests are you getting? You're saying that you've been kept pretty busy by people that are inquiring on kind of, you know, the team, your team that started this whole thing and really catapulted Gonzaga into that national yeah, spotlight. Yeah, it's really flattering because you kind of get touched or hit by two things. One is obviously the current team, the matchup, what South Carolina looked like because of my role with the radio. But then you also get a, these more like grander stories around the community, what it means to be a Zag, why are we all still together, why so many of us uh, chose Spokane to live in, you know, with our families. And so you really have to, you know, it's, it's hard to kind of explain why. You just know that it's happening and we all love it and appreciate it. Uh, but you're getting hit from a, a few different people. I mean, it kind of feels like Hoop Fest weekend. Like, I'm not moving. I mean, I'm not stopping moving because if I stop moving, I'll probably fall asleep. So you just stay on the move the whole week and try to soak in as much as you can. Absolutely. So from a matchup standpoint, South Carolina is a team that plays, defends really well. They've got a player in Thornwell who's, who's been one of the best players in this tournament, if not the best. Uh, yep. What have you seen from them from what you've uh, from what you've seen, not only you know watching them play in this tournament, but hearing kind of what they've had to say today? Well, and I think they're a great story, too. I mean, it's it's really almost a shame that you have to play these two teams. One of them is going to have to go home, kind of like the Xavier game, really. You know, two teams that never got to the Final Four, one has to go home, one's going to have to go home tomorrow. But they're both really great stories. Now, I'm, I feel fortunate that Gonzaga had the matchup with West Virginia last week. And I'll say it again, they've already been hit in the face. They got punched in the mouth by West Virginia, they got up and they delivered some shots of their own. I think that helps a lot going into tomorrow's game because you know the physicality, the intensity, that defensive uh, presence is going to be there. A little bit different that it's not 94 feet, but it's the same, the same uh, intensity. So I think that's going going in Gonzaga's favor. I also think Gonzaga's been able to take out leading scorers. I mean, just last game against Xavier, really being able to, one of the hottest players in the tournament, they took him completely out of the ball game, only 10 points. 
you know, Thorne was better than he is. So it's going to be a, a tougher task. But Gonzaga has shown that they've been able to game plan to take out other opposing teams' main players. And then more importantly and more difficult, the players have been able to go out and execute it. So comparing the 99 team to this year's team, you've got an entirely completely a complete evolution of a program between the two. Yep. Um, but kind of the same gritty, you know, hard-nosed defense well. Uh, do you see do you see similarities between those two teams? I see. Well, I mean, they'd probably beat us, you know, two or three times out of ten. I mean, they'd probably get <laughs> us a couple times. But, you know, they're good. I mean, it's not to take away how, you know, I, there is. Um, and that's that Zag quality that you try to kind of define at times. But it's kind of being a part of, you know, you, they're all playing their role. They, they, it's, a, it's about, a, you know, you're not playing it for yourself. You're playing it for someone else. You're playing it for your teammates. You're playing it for your coaching staff. You know, that's how we were. And they're enjoying the ride. So I think there are a lot of similarities, but it's similarities across the program, not the 99 team versus this team or anything else. That's why all these guys are down here this weekend. That's why we all live in Spokane. That is why Gonzaga is a family for former players because it's that shared quality and characteristic and, and you know, knowing what these guys are going through, even though none of us have ever been on a stage quite this big. Speaking of that and going off that, you were on, obviously, the call during the Xavier game. Um, when did it really start to sink in? I know it wasn't really a close game for the majority of that second half, um, but w was there a moment before oh. the final buzzer where you were like, this is really happening, or did it? Did you have to hear that? To I, I, I had to hear it because the whole time you're trying to do the math, okay, you're up 15 with four minutes to go. Okay, if this, this, and this, because you've, you know, you've seen it. You've seen it not just at Gonzaga, but in sports in general that when that momentum changes. So it was a possession-by-possession possession game even though you were up 20. And it was, you know, you didn't want to admit to it. You thought, okay, maybe what's, what's, they got to have a 15-point play. Always kept thinking, here comes the press. They got to go full court press and change the, the, the tempo of the game. Xavier never did that. And so they, they tried to extend their zone, but they never really mounted any, any significant run in that second half. And so, but it wasn't until that final horn where you kind of go like, oh my goodness, like how in the world does this happen? And then you kind of get proud and get emotional because it couldn't have happened to a better, a better bunch. Absolutely. So, I, I talked about we talked about this the other day. I asked you kind of how did you expect it to be this emotional for you, and and did did you have a barometer for how it might even feel when, when the program eventually hit that hit that landmark? No, because I I think for me like you never like the Xavier game is a great example. You never wanted to admit that it could happen. You knew they were good enough. But I've always said, once you get through that first weekend of the tournament, it's a coin flip after that. You know, it, no matter how good you are, there's always those things, the crazy things that happen in the NCAA tournament. That's why we love March Madness. But I think with this group, like, you knew it was capable, but you never wanted to say, like, this is what we're going to do. So you weren't really prepared. And you know, you knew it would be emotional because of the pride and the ownership and the connection to the program. But I had no framework to be able to kind of handle what it's been, and, and really it hasn't subsided. If anything, it's only intensified that emotion uh, throughout this entire week, you know, especially when you get to Phoenix, and I've never been to a Final Four before. This is my first Final Four, not just Gonzaga as a program, but personally my first. The production value is off the charts, you know, and it's like the city comes alive for these four teams to celebrate them, and I just think it's just really, really remarkable uh, and got to be kind of hard with all the distractions to be able to focus in on what you came to do. Have you ever played inside here? We're, si we're sitting in University of Phoenix Stadium uh, where the Cardinals play, where they played national college national football championships. H have you ever shot inside of an arena this big? Never. We were in, uh, a couple years ago when they went to the, the previous Elite Eight in Houston, the Energy Arena in, in Houston. 
Um, you know, that was, a, ironically, even a little bit bigger than this, and that was weird. You know, it's a, it's a strange experience. It's not necessarily how the game of basketball is meant to be played, which is unfortunate. I understand why they do it, but it's not necessarily my favorite execution. And I kind of feel like it dilutes the product a little bit because basketball is an intimate game. You know, you're supposed to be close. You want to touch and feel it. And I don't think you can really do that here. But from a player's perspective, you know, the one thing they have going for them is every team's dealing with the same thing. You know, you can't it's, – it's like South Carolina's defense or West Virginia's pressure. You can't recreate this in practice. You know, so no one gets it a lay up or an advantage because you can't assimilate it, you know, you can't recreate it. So I think that that will be kind of interesting and probably favors those really good defensive teams because you can't rely on your offense in here. You spent a lot of time around, pardon me, around this team and this group of guys and just the high character, um, everything, the hard work, uh, the work ethic. Is there a guy on this team where you say, oh, yeah, this guy would have fit in on, uh, you know, the, that 99 team, or is it every guy? <laughs> I think it, it really is. It's got to be every guy because, I mean, how are you going to take, as far as fitting in, I mean, how do you not want to play with Shema Karnowski? You know, how do you not want Nigel Williams-Goss' leadership? How do you not want J3's athleticism and toughness? I mean, Jordan Matthews, Fiery. I mean, every, to everyone. So I don't think that there's one player that you would take over any other player because all these guys are zags and, and the best part about them you talk about it they're humble they're hardworking, and what's really been kind of fascinating and maybe a little undeserved is how gracious they are with their success and the former players you know where that is actually a part of their conversation and their appreciation for what they've done is saying hey we did this for the coaching staff we did this for the university the community of Spokane but we also did it for the guys that that were knocking on the door but couldn't quite get there and I don't I don't know why they've, they've chosen that way but it's obviously really really um, humbling that they have being a part of the former players but they use that the history and the legacy uh, as motivation and the other thing about the history and legacy is this is all first generation. We're all first generation, you know, wealth, quote unquote wealth. We don't have the blue blood legacy and the history in, in the decades and decades and decades of history. So there's a tremendous pride because with our groups, the groups before us as well, everyone has, has put their fingerprints on this program in a positive way and set the bar a little bit higher, a little bit higher, a little bit higher, so that, you know, now we're talking about a national championship as a, rea as a reality. It's hard not to kind of point uh, as as evidence to that, uh, as the fact that you guys, there's so many of your former players that are around the team and, and back in Spokane. Have you, going through what you guys went through in 99 and being there each step of the way in this uncharted territory that this team's in right now, have you talked to any of the players individually? And is, is, is there a relationship at all there? Yeah. Uh, just trying to, you know, talk them through what they're going through? Well, you, for sure. And I think a lot of it's even more so the radio. I mean, I remember Jordan Matthews in the preseason came up to me, he's like, he was having a tough time, you know, that fifth year, that grad transfer, adjusting to what it meant to be a zag, different roles. And he came and said, how did you do it? You know, and so you kind of give him your little pep talk, you know, your two cents because you're, you are there and you, in a way you have experienced what they've experienced. And like I said, this team's always been gracious about recognizing, hey, where can we pull from? What resources can we pull from? And then in, that creates advocates, right? Now we want to see them succeed because now we're involved in kind of their journey. But with that being said, if you don't, uh, you know, if you don't know the journey, you don't really appreciate the destination. And I was talking to someone earlier, like, you know, what would it be if it had we made it? You know, we only lost by five in that Elite Eight game to eventual national champion. It was the closest game of the tournament. We we're one possession under a minute to go. You know, had we got over, you know, made a play and got into the final four, I don't know if it'd be as sweet as this because of all 
all the adversity that's been faced and all the obstacles that have been overcome to get to this moment now. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, I got one more question for you, and that is uh, if Gonzaga is to win tomorrow, what are they going to have to do? If South Carolina is going to punch them in the mouth like, like teams have thus far in, uh, in, in, in the tournament, what's Gonzaga going to have to do to get past that and go to the championship? Well, they're going to have to rebound the ball. That's really the one I'm going to pay a lot of attention to because South Carolina all season long hasn't been the best offensive team. Now, they've been great in the tournament, but does that continue? But what we do know that they do game in and game out is they defend and rebound. So will Gonzaga be able to tee it up, especially in some of their switching defenses where guards end up on big players or they can be able to keep guards go out and dig rebounds out. So that's, that one's going to be really close. So they got it. They got to win the, the battle on the glass. They're going to have to take care of the basketball and they're not going to be able to settle for threes. Now, we want them to knock down threes because it opens up the paint, of course, but that ball still got to get into the high post, into the low post, and let those players play. So there's an advantage for playing Xavier last week. You had the, the press in West Virginia, that intensity. Then you had the zone Xavier where you had to start to do some different things offensively. So you hope that helps. And then you hope that the shooting continues just a little bit, right? Because then it gives you just that much more breathing room as far as how you attack that zone. Uh, but really, it's going to be a battle on the glass. I think the defense is going to come to play because I haven't seen a game this year where it hasn't. Matt, you've got your family here. You've got 45-plus Zags. Uh, this is obviously a huge weekend for you. I hope you enjoy it. Wishing you the best, and uh, thanks for, for joining us. Oh, God, thank you for having me on. It's great to be a Zag, man, and I know we're all enjoying it. Everyone back in Spokane. Certainly everyone here in Phoenix and all over the world, really, uh, that sees something special in this program and this university. Awesome. Thank you. With over 14,000 words a week. 3,000 copies. 50 staff writers. 39 distribution stands. 25 stories. 10 editors. There's only one source to find all of your breaking Zag news. The Gonzaga Bulletin, written by Zags, for Zags. So we're down here in Phoenix, and we are talking with Bobby Balboni, the sports editor of the Daily Gamecock. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you for having me. How's, uh, how's this whole experience been for you? I mean, it's pretty crazy. 70,000 seats out there, probably the biggest the biggest stadium I've ever been in. What about, what about you? Yeah, I'll tell you what. I mean, just walking out there, something else, and it looks like a football stadium. It feels like a football stadium. Uh, I'm sure the players, I mean, they'll be fine, but it's, it's intimidating to me. I'll say that. How excited are you? be here I mean this is you know as big as it gets really yeah I think you know in South Carolina we have two teams in the final four right now so that just in itself is amazing and um, back home they're going crazy uh, after we won in the elite eight they uh, we have a fountain out in our courtyard near the library and probably about 3,000 people in that fountain just swimming around on the <laughs> raft and uh, the whole place is crazy I mean and have two teams there. It's just it's something else. So it's a pretty big fountain, then, if that many people are. Oh yeah, out. it's like a it's a whole courtyard. People oh, just wow. stormed it. Yeah, and it was, there's people like I said just floating around out there. That had to have been pretty pretty neat. I mean, when the Zags won last weekend, there were a bunch of burned couches yeah. in a that. A little more classic approach. <laughs> that was, yeah, that was about it. Yeah, I mean, we we certainly haven't been there before. I mean, have haven't won a tournament game in 42 years. So just to be in the Final Four is something else so yeah pretty crazy with that stuff well i think i think well south carolina they were picked what ninth to be in 
the SEC. They weren't. I mean, they weren't expecting a- eighth or ninth. I, I remember. Yeah. And you know, I was a little more optimistic about that, but not that much. You know, um, we lost Michael Carrera last year, and he was kind of. He kind of had that special senior season, much like Darius Thornwell is having this season. And um, we didn't really have, outside of Thornwell, we didn't really expect an offense. Even a guy like P.J. Dozier is getting a lot of credit right now. He was, he was kind of an enigma last year, you know, turning the ball over and, you know, just not exactly running the offense how one might expect. So not mention losing a couple guys in the big court and kind of a controversy at the end of the year where several players were dismissed for actually shooting a BB gun at moving vehicles. Um, we lost about three players to that. So entering the year, there are a lot of question marks. Well, I read, I, I don't know if it was your story, but it was a story on the day of the game talk about uh, preseason predictions uh, from coach and one of them was that Dozier would take the next step yeah. uh, this season what what has well, what's what's been the key to his yeah. turnaround well so Dozier I mean the talent's there I mean he you know he's McDonald's All-American and he was the highly most highly regarded recruit entering the season in the program at least recent history five star right and um, for him you know it's a shot selection thing sometimes you know he loves that kind of little floater and he'll still take it sometimes and it's never been you know a very efficient shot but sometimes it's just be more efficient and just trusting his talent, taking it to the rim. Um, in terms of ball handling, you know, it's, it's just I think court vision is the biggest thing with him, and that's really improved. I think the most this year, just decision making in general. So I mean, we, one of the craziest things about this kind of Final Four from from a Gonzaga standpoint is the fact that you know Gonzaga makes its first Final Four in the history of the program and what's been kind of a a steady 20-year build. Um, and yet, that's not the biggest storyline in this tournament. I, f- I feel like South Carolina is the biggest storyline, also having been, you know, f- from where they were this season. Uh, what's it been like for you covering the team? Uh, you know, starting at the beginning of the year, getting that eighth, uh, you know, eighth or ninth projection in the SEC. Thornwell um, not even being projected as a first-team All-Conference guy. I mean, t- to to be able to see that progression, what's that been like? Well, you know, the first thing you said there comparison between the two programs, yes, they're both making their first Final Four, but they couldn't really be more different, you know, I mean South Carolina, again, you know, hasn't won a tournament game in over 40 years and you guys have been right on the cusp. So, it's, again, it's a different progression. Um, in terms of what really happened, um, it has a lot to do with Thornwell. I mean, he's just he's taken over the team, and it's not just offensive numbers. You know, I think him and Dwayne Nose are probably two of the best, certainly the best defenders in the conference, maybe in the country. Um, and there's been a lot of guys like Chris Silva who's taken a lot of steps forward in the last couple of weeks. Just staying in games is a big thing with him. You know, foul trouble really haunts him. And him just staying on the floor makes a lot of difference. And then, you know, it's a cliche, but the chemistry is just there. It, it just is right now. And they're kind of feeling themselves and kind of having a heat check moment right now. You guys lost six of nine coming into the NCAA tournament. Uh, I mean, again, kind of like the earlier the season, no one expected them to do much in the NCAA tournament because they were trending pretty far down in yeah. the NCAA tournament. How were they able to reverse that trend and, and you know, start peaking at the right moment? I, I think the biggest thing was just getting there because, again, you know, last, last year they won 25 games, which is actually more than they won this year, and they missed out. And I think that's the most wins that a Power 5 team 
in the least since 2004 has won and not gotten in the tournament. So it's just getting you there. They're actually built pretty well for the postseason. You know, they're just the defense again and guards, which everyone says you know the two things you need for the tournament and kind of that special go-to guy. They have all those things. So it's part of it was just getting there in the first place, I think, and that's had a lot to do with the run. What did you know about Gonzaga before this Final Four? Uh, well, you see the man with the beard, and that's that's what you see. We enjoy that. Um, again, Nigel Williams-Goss, um, you know, he's a special player. But, again, you know, there's the West Coast thing. And, um, were, you, were you able to watch any of the games? Yeah, yeah I watched St. Mary's game. Okay. Um, I think I watched... I was the only thing, one before the tournament, I think I watched all the way through, to be honest. Again, you know, it's it's a West Coast thing. I'll admit it. I do it. <laughs> I mean, Thornwell, today, he said that he had watched one Gonzaga game before today. Yeah. And, like, hardly any tape. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I've, I've watched, again, a couple games, bits and pieces, but, you know, most mostly on ESPN, and I watched the same Mary's game all the way through. What I, what does South Carolina need to do tomorrow? Because, obviously, they are the underdog. Vegas projects a six-and-a-half point. Right. You with. What, does, what is the one thing South Carolina needs to do? Um, I think it's just kind of creating ball havoc. You know, they'll put Dwayne Notice out on the point, on the on the covered point guard, and he's just going to be all over the place. And they kind of let him, like, roam within his zone sometimes. Um, and that's kind of a Bob Huggins thing. Frank Martin was kind of Bob Huggins' understudy. And they kind of create that that same press only at the half court. So if they stay in character and play that defense, a lot similar how they disrupted Duke earlier in the tournament, I think they'll be all right. And of course they have to shoot. You know, they aren't a good shooting team. I mean, that's that's what it is. Um, but you know, they have to make shots they're gonna make and you know, not stay out of their offense, I think. Is there an area on GU's defense that um, you think South Carolina might be able to exploit or something that they need to exploit uh, to have a better shot tomorrow? Uh, I don't think they're going to have a lot of success inside, so they're going to have to shoot the ball, I think, on the perimeter pretty well. Um, and again, that's going to be Nose. I think Nose is kind of the guy, you know, he is kind of the third or fourth option now. When he's a sophomore, he's actually the one option with Thornwell, kind of, you know, and more featured guy now, not so much. So I think they have to shoot at perimeter. He's probably going to have to make three or four from outside for them to get where they need to at least keep up scoring-wise. What's been your experience covering Coach Martin this year? Uh, yeah. Obviously a guy who, uh, when I see him, I wouldn't want, wouldn't <laughs> in a million years want to run into him in a dark alley, but at the same right. time, you know, in the press conference today, he was, he was ripping some pretty witty, you know, jokes about the Powerball. And, and, yeah, I mean, he, he really is. That's, that's always how he is. It's not just now in the moment. I mean, he's always, he's always like that. Uh, I think kind of there's a misinterpretation between, you know, being crazy and a lunatic and now people are calling him passionate because he's successful he's always been that way that's just how he is is you know i think maybe the narrative around him is changing he's a very good coach too i mean just just like with schemes the way he runs the defense and just motivates people his players love him um they understand when he goes crazy that that's just how he does things and covering him is, is a joy just watching his suits from week to week how they change that that's really enjoyable and um you know watching him on the sidelines sometimes it's even scarier when he doesn't yell, when he's just giving them the eyeballs, pacing up and down the court. That's yeah, that's usually the best thing. That's why I like to watch. He kind of looked like a valet, a valet <laughs> guy last game with that with the, the red suit. Yeah. Yeah. We're yeah. actually putting a photo gallery together of all of his suits. That's uh, a great idea. He has, you know, he has the patch ones and he has the plaid ones. And he's got all sorts of looks. Yeah. 
Has he ever, has there ever been a, ch- a time where he's like ripped into you or you've seen kind of a, a pretty organic moment from him? I'm pretty careful. I, I uh, you know, I, I think he doesn't like to be asked about his, you know, his yelling, obviously. Uh, doesn't like to be confronted on that. Uh, I haven't done a one-on-one with him. I've heard he's amazing one-on-one, and especially with, you know, younger writers and writers in the J school, and I'd like to do that. Um, and I think when he develops a relationship with you, you know, he, he'll get you. But uh, you, have to, you have to manage his emotions. He's an emotional guy, so you got to watch out for that. All right. Well, thank you for, thanks for coming on. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's a great environment. I mean, it's cool that we're all, we all get to be here. And, uh, appreciate you being able to take, take time out of your hectic schedule to record it down here. Yeah, appreciate it, Bobby. Thank you. Thank appreciate you. it. Thanks for tuning in to the Zags on 3 podcast. Be sure to follow along at GU Bulletin SPRTS on Twitter, on Facebook at Gonzaga Bulletin, and at www.gonzagabulletin.com for live in-game updates and all of our post-game content. Zags on 3 is a joint production between Isaac Radio and the Gonzaga Bulletin. The show is produced by me, Andy Bueller, and outro music is courtesy of Gonzaga alums Matt Friedman and Ben Cavino. Special thanks to our station managers, Robert Perry and Sam Takizawa, who helped make this thing happen.